Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. This is episode number 17 of the Founder Podcast with Matthew Michaelitz. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating, fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. now, the Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Ghost, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amorosa, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Before we start today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that our goal at Founder is to help entrepreneurs succeed however we can by giving away high quality content in the form of interviews, blog posts, podcasts, YouTube videos, you name it. We put out so much content to help you. And another interesting project that we're working on right now is partnering with world-class founders like Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills like negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free trainings with founders like this, which is 100% free, just go to founder.com forward slash free. Okay, so now let's talk about today's episode. Hello and welcome to the Founder Podcast. Hope you're all having a great day and uh, thank you for sharing your earbuds with me. My name is Nathan Chan and I'm your host. Today we're speaking with Matthew Mikewitz. I'm lucky enough to actually call Matthew a friend. He sold his last business for over $50 million and he started three extremely successful businesses before that. This guy really knows what it takes to achieve success, so much to the point that he wrote a book on it. And it's something that we all are trying to achieve and accomplish And when it comes to setting goals, something that Matthew actually taught me is around setting goals and using a goals pyramid. Somebody that's achieving that level of success, he's like a serious weapon. He just knows how to build businesses. He knows how to make them extremely successful, knows how to crush it. This guy's just somebody that is insanely hardworking and he just shows people how to do it. Yeah, I think you're going to get a lot of value coming into the new year. We're having this interview around setting goals and achieving success and really understanding the mindset of what it takes to build a successful business, not once, but many times. So if you're enjoying these podcasts, please leave us a review. Check out the magazine. Just go to foundermag.com forward slash cast. Leave us a five-star review or check out the magazine at foundermag.com dot com forward slash itunes now let's jump into the show today i'm speaking with matthew michaelwitz matthew is an international expert in entrepreneurship 
innovation and success psychology, has established boards that include former heads of state, Nobel Peace Prize winners and Fortune 500 CEOs, and has a track record of starting businesses from scratch and selling them for tens of millions of dollars. So, Matthew, I just wanted to thank you for taking the time to speak with me today and share your story. Uh, pleasure, Nathan. Thanks for having me. Oh, mate, it's an absolute pleasure having you. So, can I just start off by asking you, can you tell us a little bit about your story as an entrepreneur? How how did you get this job? It all started in uh, the beginning of my college uh, days were really the only jobs that were available to me. And that really goes for the vast majority of the population when you're young, when you're 18, 19, are you know, meaningless jobs because you're not qualified, you don't have experience, you don't know anything when you're 18 or 19. So I really wanted to earn more and I wanted to do it in some way that you know, I was involved in something I loved. So that led me to becoming an entrepreneur. The only way I could earn more and to do something that I really enjoy doing is through entrepreneurship. So I started my first business while I was in college, which was a fitness training business, and that over a four-year period really taught me the mechanics of a small business. It's cash flow, partnerships, attracting customers, sales and marketing, uh, even legal matters, having insurance, having employment contracts with employees, and, and so on. After the fitness business, as I went on to create other companies, everything that I did from that point forward really involved entrepreneurship, follow a passion, follow something that you really enjoy doing it, and only the businesses got bigger from probably that point forward. Okay, interesting. Now, I understand that you you were raised in, where, where are you from originally? I was born in Poland, and when I was about six, we escaped communism, and the first country we went to was New Zealand. So not many people know that I spent uh, six years in New Zealand, and then when I was about 11, 12, we migrated to the United States, where I spent almost the next 20 years before coming to Australia. I see. So... You've built how many businesses? Four. So the fitness business was the first. Then there was a money management business that got up to about $150 million in client assets. And then there was a technology business after that, New Tech Solutions, where I raised almost $15 million in venture capital. And then after that was Solvit Software, my most recent business, which was started, built, and sold in Australia. Wow. So you have, you have an impressive set of, of accolades. You know what it takes to build a successful business. Is it, is it safe to say that? Yeah, I've got the scars to prove it. There's no doubt about that. I've shed a lot of blood along the way. Okay, well look, let's delve a bit deeper on those scars. Can you tell us about, first of all, your biggest challenges? I think fundamentally the most important thing in business is uh, having a product or service that customers want to buy. And you'd be absolutely amazed in uh, talking to entrepreneurs that are in love with a certain area, whether it's technology, whether it's some technical uh, skill that they have. And obviously, they want to do what they love, so they set up a business around that particular area. And they invest a lot of time, a lot of money. They set up websites, companies, marketing material, etc., only to find in the end that really customers don't want what they're offering. So I think one of the most important lessons that I learned early on is it's not really important what you want to sell. What's really important is what customers want to buy. And if you can really find that out early, 
to whatever method is available to you, then you can create a business, a product strategy, a service offering that has a far greater likelihood of success simply because you're selling something that people want to buy. And many entrepreneurs, unfortunately, like myself, learned that lesson the hard way. Okay. Can you tell us about how you learned that lesson the hard way? At the beginning, the consequences in a fitness business or in a money management business are low because you're dealing with consumers and if you're offering something that consumers don't buy, you can change very quickly and offer them something else, a different product, a different package. But where I learned that was in my first technology business in the United States where we were commercializing technology that used artificial intelligence. And one of the people in the business had an idea to use that technology and apply it also to intranet knowledge management, so search engines for companies, basically. And we invested years, about two years and millions of dollars, building an application for a specific customer need that we thought would be great in the marketplace. And we built the product. It successfully passed all of the technical challenges that we put to the product. And we took it to the marketplace, and nobody wanted to buy it. And, and it was a failure in the end and, and got scrapped. And so it really is a painful way of learning that you shouldn't just sit in a room think up what you think are great ideas, invest in their development, and then take them to market. It should actually start from the end first. You should actually go to the market with your idea, talk to the market about what you want to do, how great the need is, the benefits, all of those kind of things before you even make the first step. Before you do anything, have those conversations with potential buyers. That, that was a huge learning and really contributed to the success of my last business, Solve It. You know, before we built anything, we went and engaged the market in a huge way and interviewed executives, had dozens and dozens and dozens of meetings, understood pain points, what technologies they were using, what benefits new applications might have for them in specific areas before we did anything. And that ultimately we ended up building things that customers wanted. Hmm. So you, you've validated the concept before you've even... Correct. Anything with the product. Absolutely. Because, you know, even if you've got the best concept in the world and even if it is spot on and customers are going to buy it, that concept can only get better if you engage early and get feedback early. So I'm, I'm just a huge believer in what I call market-driven development. To develop what the market wants with engagement with the market each step along the way. So I'm looking for validation. I'm looking for input into the development of the product to make sure that at the end, really my goal as an entrepreneur is to de-risk my journey. And if I can get to the end, a finished product, and have it de-risked along the way that I've been getting validation and I've been getting input into the development, my chances of success are higher. Mm, yeah, no. Have you read The Lean Startup? Yes, absolutely, and The Minimum Product, all, all of that, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely a recommended book that, that goes deep into this, this kind of methodology of starting a business. Now, I wanted to ask you, a problem that many aspiring entrepreneurs face is, is they've got plenty of ideas and, and execution is often the hardest part. And also, also capital can be a hard part too. So it's a two-part question. One, how do you go about coming up with ideas? And then two, how do you go about, do you always bootstrap your businesses? And, and if so, what are, what are some great ways to bootstrap it? Yeah, those are uh, involved questions. Let me, tr let me try to tackle them one, one at a time. Okay. 
So, look, I'm a fundamental believer that there are some people that can sit in a bathtub, smoke a cigar, and have an epiphany, and it's going to be an idea that changes the world and technology. So if you're one of those entrepreneurs, I mean, you know, sit in the bathtub with a cigar, do what works. Most people in my experience, and certainly I'm in that category, don't generate good ideas that way. I just, I, I can't sit in the bathtub in a vacuum. I disconnected from the world, from you know, buyers, consumers, and think stuff up. So I find that good ideas come from interactions. And the more you're out in the market, the more you're talking to just people. If you're looking for just a general idea, I mean, just go into shows, go into California and seeing what kind of businesses are being created there, seeing, uh, hearing about people's needs or some of the problems that they're facing in business. Good ideas stem from those kind of observations. If you look at entrepreneurs and where most of them get their ideas, it's typically from previous work experiences or problems that they've observed. That's, that's in statistics where ideas come from. So if that's where ideas come from, you need to be out interacting and discussing really with you know, human beings what they're doing to come up with that kind of idea. Now, once you have an idea, and I agree with your statement, ideas are cheap, execution is expensive. That I, I, I absolutely agree with that. So the amount of people that do generate ideas versus the amount of people that actually implement them and execute them, it's probably a ratio of you know, 10,000 to one. A lot of ideas, very, very difficult to implement. And one of the reasons that it's difficult to implement is because it requires capital, which kind of touches upon your second point. You need money to do stuff. You know, even getting on an airplane and talking to people, that requires money. Going to a show, uh, building a, a prototype or a demo, even establishing a company and having a website, everything requires capital. So then, especially in the area of technology, entrepreneurs go about looking for capital for their ideas. And, and I've invested in businesses before. I'm a current investor in several venture capital funds, so I've got a, a great perspective of not only what it's like to be an entrepreneur and ask for money, but I know what it's like to be an investor and have someone ask you for money. And I can tell you from an investor's perspective, what you want to hear from the entrepreneur is that they've gone into the market, they have directly engaged with prospective buyers. I mean, they've had face-to-face -face conversations, follow-ups, discussions, and they have some basic prototype built that they might have done themselves that they've demonstrated, and they convince you through these interactions that the need for the product is great, and if they can get the capital, they'll build it, and there are buyers waiting to buy it. That's what you want to hear. Most entrepreneurs have an idea, they've done some Google research, they've got some Gartner reports, they package that together into a PowerPoint presentation, they put it in front of an investor, and the moment the investor says, who have you talked to to validate your idea in terms of prospective customers, the entrepreneur says, well, you know, I, I, have, I haven't talked to anyone yet. So to get money, you need validation. And the only way to get validation is to engage with your prospective buyers early. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It's as you say, you are a risk-orientated entrepreneur. And that's because, Nathan, my degree in the university is in corporate finance. So you know, I've got four years of university training in the subject of really risk and reward. And everything I do is, is looking at it like, what is the risk of doing this versus the potential reward? And if the reward is great, if the upside is high and I'm going to move, then my next assignment is, all right, how do I minimize the risk? How do I de-risk my path? 
And the only way you can de-risk is by making sure that there are buyers at the end of the journey for you. Are people going to buy what you do? Because if, if there aren't, you're dead. I mean, your business is going to fail, whatever you do, if no one buys your product or service. I've just been thinking, because you, you mentioned about a lot of people start businesses aligning with their passions. From the businesses that you've started, how have you aligned your passions with your business ideas? Yeah, no, look, great question. The only, my first business in uh, the university was aligned to really my first love, which was bodybuilding, athletics, personal fitness. So, I mean, I, and, and I've got a passion and soft spot in my heart to this day to that particular area. So what I knew very well was how to train, how to strengthen the body, how to increase muscle mass, how to decrease the body fat, how to create a nutritional program that's going to be sustainable and get results. So I knew that very deeply at a very early age, and I loved it. I went to the gym, trained two hours a day, loved hanging out with people that were into the sport and so on. So my first business was really a personal training business, perfectly aligned to the thing that, A, I knew really well because it was my passion, and two, it was something that I enjoyed doing on a daily basis. Now, my second passion then became finance. That's what I studied at the university, and I loved the whole area, the um, risk and reward, valuing assets, uncertainty, cash flows. I really enjoyed the subject in college, so my second business was a money management business that I created with another person, and it was perfectly aligned to really the, the major interest that I had during my university studies. And the way I got into technology is my father has been a computer scientist for, I don't know, 30, 40 years, has written dozens of books on the subject. I've been around that all of my life growing up, and it was a natural extension in terms of or step forward as I was going through my entrepreneurial journey to then move into technology, and I got fascinated by my father's research, and we decided to commercialize it. So each business had something that was close to my heart, and it was something that I got very intimate knowledge of and went down to a very deep level understanding it, and that contributed to success. Rather than sitting at home and saying, look, how can I create a business that will make a lot of money? I don't care if I like it or not. In fact, I might not even be interested in it at all. I'm just in it for the money. I think if that's your mindset, your probability of failure is going to be high because you, you really don't care about it. It's not your passion. It's not your dream. It's not something that you actually might have a lot of intimate knowledge of. You're just in it for the money. And if that's the beginning of the entrepreneurial journey, that's a very, very dangerous place to be starting with. Hey guys, I really hope you're feeling inspired from today's interview. The truth is there's never been a better time to build an e-commerce business. And the best part is you don't have to do it alone. And that's where Founder Plus comes in, which I'm really excited to share with you. If you're feeling stuck in your e-commerce business, lacking confidence to move forward, or really worrying about making costly mistakes, Founder Plus is here to support you. You get access to a customized learning pathway with proven frameworks from successful e-commerce founders for fast results, a supportive community, weekly live mentors, exclusive savings on startup tools and 24-7 real human support. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash Founder Plus trial or click the link in our show notes to claim your trial. All right, now I'll jump back in the show. Mm, Yeah, no, that really resonates with me what you said because I see it myself. There's a lot of young people out there that that just see, see the 
finished product of very successful technology entrepreneur and and see the dollar signs when they start the business and they don't even think about the problem they just think about the money and exactly people want what other people have but uh, without the work without the effort without the risk without the sacrifice without even the journey that's involved they just want the end result and those people don't understand that the end result came from usually that person's passion and that passion led to the amount of effort that they put in the amount of sacrifice and so on and that the result came from their passion rather than from you know them just pursuing the result yeah no and that that's that's an awesome point now it's quite a a common thread for people to say you know follow your passion the money will come and you know it, i think it would be a bit naive for me to say in your case that you have just followed your passion there must be more to it than just following your passion to to achieve the level of success you have and i want to i want to find out how like yeah. how is it that you are constantly building these businesses and you know being extremely successful with them yeah look excellent point and uh, the last book that i wrote laid out kind of the for life and half a second the formula that i've used for the last 20 years in building businesses and it's one that I've meticulously researched that, you know, I've, I've gotten hints and clues from mentors. I've picked up bits and pieces along the way. But it all starts, to answer your question, specifically with the first step in that book, and that's to have a specific goal. So if, if your goal is, I want to follow my passion, well, you, you can follow your passion tomorrow and starve to death doing it, right? And that, that doesn't sit well with me as a person, you know, that has a degree in finance. So... I want to follow my passion, but what I did, the second part of that statement, and I want to be paid well to do it. So, okay, if that's the goal, you, there's a financial goal connected to following your passion, that now opens up a whole series of questions, sub-goals, milestones, and things that you need to do to make sure that you pursue your passion in a, in a business way. You're not running a charity. You're not doing it for non-profit or for the, just the pure love of it. You also want to survive from it. This is how you're going to support your family, feed your family, make a livelihood from it, and so on. And so at the onset, at the day one of following your passion, you have to define those things. What does financial success mean? Does that mean $10,000 a year? Does it mean $100,000 a year, a million, 10 million? So you begin really thinking of these kind of things in specific numbers and business terms, and then you begin planning and plotting your path to achieve those objectives, but all of them are in the context of your passion. So that's how, how I've gone about it, rather than just saying, look, I want to train people, that's my passion, and off I go. Well, you, could, you can train people for free and do it tomorrow. Hmm, that's, that's right. This kind of leads on well to our next question. Let's just switch gears and, and talk about your latest book. Now, Life in Half a Second, I, I've started reading it, and um, all I can say is, wow, like, so much of it resonates with me. I just wanted to touch on something that, that was in the book that, that really hit me hard, and it was that nobody ever stops to think, how did I get where I am? Why am I here? Why am I doing what I'm doing? And you mentioned that companies always, when you're working in a business, people are always taking stock. They're looking at where the company's going, the direction of the company. But a lot of people fail to stop and look at the direction of their life and, and right. it up where, where they are today. And 
Yeah, I just wanted to hear your, your take on that. And can you tell us a little bit more about, about that book? No, look, great observation. And, uh, and, and again, the book came out of a passion of mine. So it's, uh, it's a book about success. And it's unlike other books where it's based on people's opinion. I'm really interested in the subject of success from a science point of view. You know, are there things that are proven to work? And by proven, I mean studies have been conducted by tier one universities, and they conclusively show that if you do these things, you're more likely to succeed. That's kind of how I approach this subject. And the reason it's been a passion is because so much is at stake when you're an entrepreneur. You, your house could be on the line. You might, If you fail, you might go bankrupt. You might not be able to feed your family. So the difference between an employee and an entrepreneur is as an employee, the only thing at stake is your job. And if you lose your job, well, guess what? You'll You'll be paid out your annual leave and notice periods and so on, and then you go and find another job. That might be stressful for some people, but that for me is not high stakes. High stakes is when you're all in. You get a second mortgage on the house, you max out your credit cards, and all of a sudden if if this thing doesn't work, you don't know how you're going to survive. The stakes are really high then. So if, if you're in that position, and I've been in that position before, then you want to do everything possible to maximize your chances of success. I mean, it's, it's really important then. So the subject of success is close to my heart because as an entrepreneur, I wanted to succeed because the thought of not succeeding was scary. I mean, the risk is higher. And in the last 20 years, as I've been interested in the subject, I've been collecting studies, collecting information, talking to people, really collecting knowledge and material that I thought one day I'd put into a book and kind of distill the essence of what success is about. In the simplest terms possible, what are, what are some simple steps that people can follow that are proven to work, and if they do it, they're more likely to succeed. So that's the background of the book. And if we go to your question about, you know, the people not really paying attention to how they got to where they are, the reason for that is that we get into a a routine, even in college, even in, in our study days, we enter a routine of life. We get up in the morning, we might go for a jog, we eat breakfast, we answer emails, we go and study some subject, or we go and work somewhere, and life just rolls on. And as we take each day at a time, stuck in our routine, doing the same thing over and over, all of a sudden, weeks pass, then months, then years, and then, you know, we graduate, we move from one job to the next, and so on, and everything is kind of reactive. And few people kind of put their head up from that routine and say, you know what, hold on for a second, just time out, just just stop everything for a second. Where am I going? Like the path that I'm on, this routine that, that, that I'm doing every day, every week, where's that taking me? Where am I going to be one year from now? Where am I going to be 10 years from now? They kind of you know, pop their head up and have a look into the future. They look at the past because they ask the second question, how did I get here? And then what they should be asking themselves, and this is the most important question, is that where I want to go? And this is like the beginning of, of the conversation with yourself. Because if you look into the future and say, you know what, in 10 years from now, this is where I'm likely to be. And then you say, do I want to go there? And, and the answer is no. That's the moment where you can start enacting change. You can start asking questions like, where do I want to go? 
What do I enjoy doing? Where, where would I like my life to be in 10 years? So I wrote that at the beginning of the book because I just see people doing the same thing every day, plowing ahead. There's mortgages to pay. There's kids to take to school. There's tasks to do at work. The days are flying past. The weeks are flying past. The months, the years, then we become old people, and then we say, Jesus, where did it all go? It happened all so fast. So I'm advocating take time out, stop, think strategically about where you are and where it's heading and ask yourself, is that where I want to be going? Yeah, no, look, that that was awesome, man, because I have to say when, you know, years have passed for me and what you described is something that I just, you could almost call as, as seeing the Matrix, if you've seen the movie The Matrix. Yeah, yeah. And I described that as, as seeing the Matrix when I found entrepreneurship. I found that there there was another way of living my life, and it didn't have to be that way. And I, I remember when I used to say like to some of my friends many years ago, like sometimes I forget what I'm doing before I even knew anything of the stuff, like you know, knew anything about business, knew anything about lifestyle design, entrepreneurship, anything. I used to say to my friends, sometimes it's it's easy for me to forget that I'm alive and that the time is ticking. And that piece in the book, it really hit home for me. So, yeah, it was awesome. Um, look, I'm you know, so happy to hear you say that. And, and you know, like I said at the beginning, I wrote the book with passion in the sense that I love the subject. And it's an awakening in the sense of, like you said, you wake up from the matrix or you find out that there's this whole other way of doing things. I agree with that statement completely. And, and, and the moment people put their head up and, and, and call time out for a second, they begin to have those kind of realizations. You know, it doesn't have to be like this. I'm a free person. I'm not, you know, I'm not living in some communistic country where they tell me what to eat and when to go to bed and what to work. I'm a free person. I can live my life any way I want. So... Is this the way I want to be living? Is this what I want to be doing? It's critical people have those discussions with themselves. Yeah, no, it's spot on. Uh, I love it. That was awesome. So let's say somebody has, they've woken up and and they see that that things can be done differently. What's the next step? Where, Where do you start? This is a great question that can almost be answered in the same way as the validation of a product or service in terms of engaging with the market. The first step, and I believe this with with hand on heart, Nathan, that the first step, if you think you want to do something, say you're stuck in a job you don't like, your passion is photography or art or gaming or uh, athletic sports, and you actually want to now do something that's aligned to your passion. You You think, you know what, life's just too short. I want to do something I care about that I really enjoy. I want to make a change. The first step should be find people that are already doing what you want to be doing. So in other words, ask yourself, actually, who has the kind of life that I want? And I'm not talking about houses, cars, titles, distinctions, awards, wealth, any of that kind of stuff. I'm talking about who's living the kind of life in the sense that they're doing something that I want to be doing and they're making a living from it. They're successfully doing it. Who's doing that? Once you identify those people, you need to talk to them. You either need to, if they're famous, listen to podcasts, go to events where they speak, read books that they've written, or if you can get access to them and have a cup of coffee 
or have a conversation and ask the questions, how did you get here? What did you do? What's your journey been like? How can I do what you're currently doing? Because those conversations kind of are, are your market research. The, the future you is telling you how to get there what your next step should be, what are the things you should be focusing on. And as you learn more about what that person is doing, you might think, oh, this isn't like I thought it was. Actually, I might want to do something else. So you're doing research before making the first step. Mm. Yeah, no, great, great response. And this, this leads on perfectly to our next question, and that is you managed to get Frank Abagnale as a, one of your board of directors for one of your companies. I know that you've met Arnold Schwarzenegger. You've had lunch or, or dinner with him. I know you've touched with Bill Gates, CEO, and Bank of America. So you're very good at connecting and building relationships with these influencers, people that, that have achieved greatness and amazing things. So I want to know, how are you doing that? <laughs> Look, great, great question. I mean, let, let's pick up Frank Abagnale as a case study that we can go through in a, in a couple of minutes, and I'll tell you what I did that millions of other people didn't do. So for those that don't know, Frank Abagnale is a real person. He's a leading expert in the area of fraud detection. He's got an in, incredible life that was written into a book that he wrote called Catch Me If You Can. Steven Spielberg bought the rights to his book, turned it into a movie, which starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It was a blockbuster about a, a little bit more than 10 years ago, and a, and a great movie and a huge success. So I saw that movie in the theater, as did millions of other people. And, and just out of curiosity, Nathan, did you see it? Yes. Yeah, okay, so you know the movie I'm talking about. So at the end of the movie, it says, you know, what is Frank Abagnale doing today? And it says that he's running a, a world-leading agency on fraud detection. He advises banks. He advises CEOs about upcoming threats and identity fraud and all of these new fraud threats that are facing banks, financial institutions, and other organizations. So at the time, I was running New Tech, my uh, first technology company. It was my third business and my first technology business. And we were in the area of fraud. We were building applications for check fraud, which was obviously one of Frank Abagnale's specialities. Immediately in the movie theater, I thought, boy, I, I want to connect with this person. I want to get him involved in the business. But I didn't know anyone that knew him. And I searched my network, and I called anyone that I knew that might possibly know someone to connect me to Frank, but no one knew. So in the end, I wrote him a letter, which was the first form of a pitch, you know? And in the letter, you're really just pitching for a conversation. You're not actually trying to convince them to join your board or become part of your business. You just want them to pick up the phone and call you or when you call them for them to have a conversation with you. So I went through many gates in getting to Frank Abagnale. I had to talk to his agents when they got that letter. They requested more information on the company. They vetted me over the telephone. They asked me questions. And every Every conversation was a pitch because at, at any point, at any one of those gates, if I was saying the wrong things or I didn't have answers or it, it sounded like I didn't know what I was doing, that would be the end of the journey. So in the end, I got to Frank Abagnale. He flew to our headquarters. He spent the day with us. We had dinner. We convinced him that it would be a great benefit to both parties, us and him, to kind of join forces and for him to be involved in new tech and help us in the area of developing our products and fraud. And he agreed. 
Now, that whole process, as incredible as it sounds from beginning to end, what's more incredible is how many people saw that movie, how many people were in the area of financial services, and how many people actually reached out to him and said, let's do something together. And the answer is hardly anyone. You'd think his mailbox would be jammed with letters and, and let's do stuff and business propositions, etc. Most people, 99.99%, didn't reach out because they immediately assumed that someone like Frank Abagnale would say no. And if you believe that someone like Frank Abagnale will say no, then what's the point of writing a letter? What's the point of reaching out? It's, you know, I cover that in life in half a second. What you believe drives your action. So I had a different belief. I thought, boy, what we're doing is so exciting that I really believe that Frank Abagnale would be interested in it. And so I reached out. I went through the process. It was successful in the end. And it was successful because I took the action and the steps along the way to really make it work versus everyone else they gave up before they even left the ground floor. They didn't even bother sending a letter because they immediately assumed that the answer would be no. And how long did it take, that whole process? It is six months. Six months. I have to ask, you mentioned about every time you spoke you were pitching, you were making sure that you were pitching correctly. What, did yes. you, what do you mean by that? When you pitch, you have to understand that the objective of every pitch is to get you to the next stage of the conversation. You know, most people think that a, the goal of a pitch is to win, to close a deal, get a customer, get an investor to put money. That, that might be the end result. You know, the end result is shaking Frank Abagnale's hand and him saying, I want to be a part of your business and help you, right? But at the beginning, that's not the pitch. The pitch is from a letter, the only next step is to have a conversation. Once you have a conversation, the next step would be for him or his agent to evaluate your business and what you're proposing and so on. The result of that evaluation and all the conversations that happen and all of the, the pitching that happens in those conversations is to get you again to the next step, which is to meet Frank Abagnale. You know, so, so what many people don't understand in pitching is they think, oh, what's a pitch about? Oh, it's about get, winning business, isn't it? It's about getting someone to say yes. That's wrong. The good pitching takes you to the next step. And if you go through enough steps, here with six months of steps, you get to the end goal, which is getting the customer, getting Frank Abagnale, getting an investor, whatever your end objective is. So one critical part of pitching is you have to be focused on the next step and obviously make sure that those steps lead to the ultimate objective you want. And the second thing that good pitching is about is it comes from the heart. You know, in the key person of influence program that I'm involved in, and I teach on the subject of pitching, we call it essence. What's in your heart, why you do what you want, why you do what you uh, do, and you put that into your pitch. So Frank Abbott now, he could be involved in anybody's business. He's not going to make a particular decision based upon somebody's balance sheet or the colors in their brochure. He's going to connect at the end of the day with the entrepreneurs, with the owners, with their passion. With their, We loved what we did. We loved the products. We were passionate about the industry and the direction. And that, in the end, became the connection with Frank Habagnale. So not only were we focused on each next step as it came, but when we got to Frank Abagnale and even talking to his agents ahead of time, our passion for the business came out at every step rather than some cold mechanical discussion.
Yeah, uh, that was awesome, man. I love it. You you really broke it down really, really nicely. Thank you. We have to look at towards wrapping things up. And there's something else I, I wanted to ask you. And that was, you moved from the States to Adelaide and you built a company. Was this one from the ground up? Yes. Yeah. So yeah. I moved to Adelaide in April of 2004. And then about a year later, at the beginning of 2005, Solvit Software was incorporated by myself and a few other people, and one of them was my father. And it was really to do some of the things that we had done in the United States, but do it in a, in a more focused manner with new technology. Um, you know, the world had changed over, over the last five, seven years, and to really focus on particular markets with particular products. But we incorporated the company, and literally there was, there was zero when we started, Not, nothing. Okay. Now, the reason I, I mentioned this is, is for those listening, if, if you move to Australia, Adelaide isn't necessarily a big business sector in, in Australia. You would consider maybe Melbourne or Sydney. So I wanted to ask, why Adelaide? Yeah, look, great question. And my wife and I visited Australia in the year 2000, visited all the cities, all the major cities, and we just fell in love with Adelaide. So... We were looking at starting a family. We wanted to live in a safe place you know, that had all the things Adelaide had, dry heat, beautiful uh, beaches, the hills, Barossa Valley, McLaren Vale, of a city that wasn't large, but it wasn't a small town of 50,000 people either. So it was what we were looking for at our stage of our lives in terms of beginning a family. So the decision to move to Adelaide had nothing to do with business. It was purely lifestyle. We loved the way we felt in Adelaide. We loved the people, and we wanted to be there. It was as simple as that. And having moved, we didn't know anybody here. I mean, I couldn't even tell you the population of South Australia or major industries after moving. I knew nothing about the state. And then a year later, when Solvit was created, it was the first time I really entered the business community and really discovered, where am I? You know, what are the major industries? What are the businesses? How can I network in this place? How do I get started? How do I engage with prospective customers and find out what they want? So I didn't choose Adelaide to start a business. It was a lifestyle choice, and I fundamentally believe you can succeed anywhere absolutely anywhere. That's what I believe as a human being. So I never gave it any second thought about what's my odds of success in Adelaide versus some other place because you know, I believe I can be successful anywhere. So we wanted to live here, we moved, and then the business was set up a year later. You strike me as somebody that, that has serious amounts of hustle, Matthew. Do you know? <laughs> I'll, I'll take that as a, as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's a common trait amongst successful entrepreneurs. They they don't take no for an answer and they just they just got this serious drive. And I want to really try and unpack where you think this drive comes from. Where do you think this inner hustle that you have comes from? This this zest to want to learn more, this zest to get out there, this zest to grow this business because I'm convinced that it's got to take a lot more than best practices. Look, I, I can certainly relate and agree, Nathan, to the comments that you've just made, and and probably on self-reflection, the best statement I can make is that I'm a person that either does something completely 
or I don't do it at all. There's never half measures. I don't know how to take the middle road or find the gear in between neutral and, and first. It's on or it's off. And that's with everything, whether it's writing a book, absolutely submerge yourself, do it the absolute best you can, finish it, make it the best, promote it, and business is the same way. So when I decided to create Solve It Software and I pulled the other founders together and we began, we had very specific goals of what we wanted to achieve, and then it became this absolute drive, and it's just the way I operate, we will achieve them. And then it's discovering different ways, discovering the market, discovering product directions, discovering who our allies and partners in the marketplace are going to be, who are going to be competitors, strength of competitors, all of those kind of things. But the most important answer is do or don't do. Whereas many people, they, put, they like to put their toe in the water. Uh, let, you know, let, let, let's just see how this is going to be. I'll try it for a little bit. And then if, that, if I'm not happy or it doesn't work out, I'll try something else. And then I'll do this. I'll write a book. You know, I'll, I'll spend a day, a month writing it. And maybe I'll finish it. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll like it. Maybe I won't. I, I've never operated that way. So once I commit, I'm all in. I execute. I get to the goal. And if I find that the goal is harder to reach than, than I originally thought, we look for alternate ways of getting to the goal. We change our strategy. We change our plan. We strategize about the obstacles and so on. But it's never been a, a half-hearted effort in doing something. It's all in. Yeah, no, love it. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and you really answered my question. We have to look at wrapping things up. So I just wanted to say, um, first of all, Thank you for taking the time. It's been absolutely awesome speaking with you, man. Oh, thanks for having me, Nathan. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, no, it's been awesome. And, and lastly, is there, is there any words of wisdom that you, you would like to impart on just in Finnish? Yeah, look, look, many people want to do something, but they're afraid of doing it. You know, everyone would follow their passion if they really believed that they could earn a good living from it and that the chance of failure is low. But most people think the opposite. Chance of failure is high. I probably won't earn enough from it. And that kind of paralyzes their actions. And for all of those people, which I know there's, there's tons of them, and, and, and I encounter them at conferences when I speak, I get emails from readers at events or uh, like key person of influence programs that I run. I hear from these people and my parting words of advice, and this is a message that I'd really like for people to take home, is go and meet and spend time with people that are doing what you want to be doing and are making money from it. Because several things will happen. One, by meeting them, you'll find out how they got to where they are, so your knowledge will go up. And by seeing those people do what you want to do, your belief that you can do the same thing will also go up. And those are the critical steps in achieving your goals. You've got to know how to achieve the goal, because if you don't know, you, what are you going to do? You can't make the first step. And you've got to believe that you can get there. And if you don't believe, you're not going to take the first step. So my parting advice to listeners, the people that are afraid, unsure of the next step, that love to do something but they don't know how or they think they won't succeed, just make it an action item. It won't cost you a cent, won't put you at risk or put you out of pocket. Just spend time with people that are doing it. You'd be amazed what will start happening if you do that just one small thing. Spot on. Well, look, yeah, thank you very much, man. It's, it's been an absolute blast speaking with you, dude. Thanks, Nathan. I really thank you for having me on the, the show and in the magazine. Hey, guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. 
As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.